Hi friends, I'm super excited to announce that I am going to be speaking at the Health Optimization Summit in London this June 15th and 16th. I will be talking about balancing hormones, health and hustle for high achieving women. And I'm also going to be hosting a menopause panel with Dr. Mindy Pels and Dr. Stephanie Estima. So if you haven't got your ticket yet, then head over to summit.healthoptimization.com. And if you enter code ANGELA10, you'll get 10% off your ticket. There are so many amazing experts this year, uh, including Ben Greenville, Dr. Mindy Pels, Dr. Stephanie Estima, as I've mentioned, Dr. Stephen Gundry, JJ Virgin, many of whom have actually been on this show. So head over to summit.healthoptimization.com and enter code ANGELA10 at checkout and be sure to come over and say hi. stabilize blood sugar, mood and energy, just all of a sudden become an effortless conversation. You feel more stable. And then when you start to metabolize estrogen, you know, intentionally, then a lot of these symptoms that you that you have popping up, the, the acne on your chin mid-cycle or the, the ovulatory pain mid-cycle or the, swol- the tender breast mid-cycle during ovulation, that goes away. You're listening to the High Performance Health Podcast, helping you optimize your health, performance and longevity. My name is Angela Foster and I'm a former corporate lawyer and high performance health coach. Each week I bring you cutting edge biohacks, inspiring insights and high performance habits to unlock optimal health, performance and longevity. So excited that you've chosen to join me today. Now let's dive in. Hi friends, this week I am back recording this intro in the sunshine again, although not in Sri Lanka, in the UK. It's a beautiful morning, but it's much chillier, a very different feel, but I'm kind of embracing that autumnalness. Now in, uh, is that even a word? I'm not sure, but it is now. Um, so in this week's episode, you're going to be listening to my interview with Elisa Vitti. We are talking all about optimizing female hormone health. And whatever your problems you might be having with hormones are, Elisa has the answer. She has been working on this for over the last 20 years. She's the creator and founder of the Cycle Syncing Method, the original, which helps you optimize your creativity and productivity, your nutrition, and your fitness around the menstrual cycle. We also talk about special considerations for women in perimenopause and a whole lot more. It's a jam-packed episode. I was so excited to have Elisa back on the show. Um, And if you want to find more about her work, please definitely check out Elisa's books, um, Woman Code, and also In The Flow. She also has an incredible app, uh, The Flow app, which can help you optimize things. And this interview, I think, will also really help you too. So without further delay, let me introduce you now to the amazing Elisa Vitti. Elisa, it is so awesome to have you back on the show. I've been really looking forward to this. I can't believe that it's been 10 years, right, of In The Flow, but we were just talking offline about how long you've been practicing actually in this area and helping women optimize their hormones. It's know, amazing. Got, to- so 20, 20 something years and then 10 years with Flow Living and, and yeah. the books. And yeah, it's been, we just celebrated our 10 year anniversary in June with the relaunch of the whole um a refresh of the whole brand and a relaunch of the site and the app and uh, it was quite an undertaking um but yeah, yeah. It's, it's a journey, <laughs> it's being, a journey. An entre- being an entrepreneur is nothing like um 
the crucible for your personal growth and development, right? As if, uh, if you let it be, it really can be. Very much so. And very, very challenging, but very rewarding. Mm. Um, really amazing to have you back. I think my first question would be like in, obviously it's been over 20 years, but in the last kind of 10 years of Flow Living, what has kind of stood out from you for you working with so many women? Are there things that along the way that have been like, uh, tweaks you've made or things that you've really noticed common patterns with women growing trends and things I know like stress is a big one for people I'm just really curious what's kind of come out of that sort of 10-year review oh my gosh <clears throat> well that's a, an enormous question and with so many different possible answers but I guess I'll say I think the the best news over the past decade is that the the conversation in general when it comes to women's hormones is becoming more widespread. I won't say it's gone completely mainstream yet, but the fact that we have people talking about menstruation, people talking about fertility, infertility, um, now menopause much more you know, prevalently in the media, all of that bodes really well for women because what it means is the more we hear about it, the more we start to think about it. And that's so important because when we think about things, we start to maybe want to take action. And that's the best thing that's come out of this 10-year moment because the fundamental narrative that we have been conditioned to believe about our hormones as women is that they are mysterious, unfixable and problematic. And there's nothing you can do about it. You just stuck with what you've got and you're stuck with it for life and you're going to suffer through. And this, this programming, this conditioning keeps you in a passive relationship when it comes to your body and your hormones, which puts you on the back foot for many, many years when it comes to being optimally healthy, functioning at your best it, in every aspect of your life because your hormones are so germane to, you know, who you are as a person. Um, so, yeah, I think the fact that we're now talking more about hormones in general makes women think that there's something to learn about and something to do for themselves. And that's my favorite thing about the past 10 years of all the things. Um, as far as other trends, I mean, I think the other reality is that, um, and, and this has been true for a long time, women are asked societally to take on far too much without adequate compensation or support, you know, and the stress impact of that is fundamentally endocrine disruptive to women in a way that men are not equally burdened with, right? You know, all the caretaking, all the the mental load of work and motherhood, if you choose to have children, you know, or caretaking other family members, it's a huge um, physiological impact on from cortisol, which then, you know, there's this whole relationship to cortisol and progesterone and decreasing progesterone at, at increasing rates, ages women hormonally faster than they should be. And so that's the other thing that I would say that I've seen over the past decade is that women are going through a hormonal aging process much more rapidly than they should be. And that's across the board. So women in their thirties are having diminished fertility because of their ovarian aging in response to this cortisol progesterone conversation. Women in their forties 
are going through perimenopause much more quickly than they should mm. be because of this. I've noticed so, that. So it's just this whole trajectory of um, the environment that women are in is not supporting them. And so this is one of the reasons why I created the cycle syncing method to directly uh, address that um, so that women could have a fighting chance of, of, you know, dealing with this cortisol progesterone impact and really protecting their biological processes and not age so quickly. I definitely want to dive into that in terms of the the link with cortisol and progesterone in a moment, because I, but firstly, just, you know, thank you for everything you do. I think that, you know, it really has empowered so many women and it's really created a movement. Um, and I think that one of the things that, um, also I'd highlight there is so many women in their forties, right? They're, they're meeting up against perimenopause, but they also haven't necessarily completed their families. And I think that's causing as well, a lot of friction, um, and a lot of upset for many women, because particularly where they've been focused on their careers and they've kind of been conditioned, no, you've got to get ahead first and put that, that first, it's a very difficult situation. Um, before we kind of dive into the mechanics of cycle syncing and, and talking about stress and, and women's hormones, um, when we look at ovarian aging, um, that's obviously fundamental because we know that um, our health risks go up, things like cardiovascular disease, right, bone density, all these things get affected. What do you think is driving that aging process ahead of ahead of perhaps when it should be? Ahead of schedule. Mm. So it's it's several factors it's the impact of endocrine disruptive chemicals on you know every woman's biology that's you know affecting you from whenever you're being exposed to them so presumably now from childhood right keeping in mind that with people today not just women but people today are exposed to more chemicals in a 30-day period than their grandparents generation were exposed to their entire lifetime wow. so the impact of that is is absolutely profound um, on our hormonal reality. And so there's that, then this can create a scenario in which we are more estrogen dominant, which then creates more um, imbalances and disordered things around our cycle, whether that be fibroids or endometriosis or you know other sort of symptoms, extreme PMS. So we're suffering more and that suffering creates its own stress, right? Because you don't feel good and you know, you're not taking care of yourself the way that you're, you, know, you want to because you're not feeling great, you're having cravings, you're having things that feel out of your control. And then stress in general, right? The, 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 the hustle that we all have to be in, right? To, to make a living, to take care of ourselves, the stress of that, women still earning less, on the dollar than you know compared to men and and the lack of let's say child care support access and all the things that we need to be successful to do our jobs adds so much stress right and this just all of these things together start to drive ovarian aging as well as the fact that we have this huge blind spot about the reality that we have this second biological rhythm called the infradian rhythm that you know I uncovered and wrote about for the first time in the book in the flow that none of us know about so we're actually without realizing it really disrupting this biological clock by trying to do the same things each and every day right because we we've heard the narrative for so long okay there's this ideal day if you could just have the discipline 
to stick with that ideal day of waking up at the magical time in the morning and having the perfect smoothie for breakfast and doing your workout, your HIIT workout every day, eating a sal- the perfect salad for lunch and having some like light dinner, you know, and restricting yourself, but pushing yourself as hard as possible every day to maximize your productivity and maximize your workouts and minimize your caloric intake, then you will somehow have everything that you desire. It's, it's, it's a, a seductive narrative, right? The problem is the problem is that narrative only works if you have, um, you know, male hormonal patterns that rinse and repeat every 24 hours. But because we don't, we have this other biological rhythm, the infradian rhythm that we, you know, causes us to shift throughout the month in these very distinct patterns, we then end up um, actually disrupting what we need to be supporting by changing what we're doing on a week to week basis, right? As opposed to trying to stay the same every day, what we want to do is actually start matching our hormonal patterns with what we're eating, how we're working out, how many calories we're taking in, what we're working on at work. And this is the biggest missing piece in terms of what's driving unnecessary stress and, and, and accelerating ovarian aging, in my opinion, is that we're just disrupting this, this biological rhythm. And we know that that's so problematic because we have all these studies about what it's, what happens when you disrupt the circadian clock, Mm. you know, it increases um, rates of diseases of inflammation, it, you know, obesity, diabetes, heart disease, cancer, dementia. I mean, there's nothing good about disrupting your circadian clock. Shift workers are studied extensively in the military, in healthcare settings. For example, female surgeons and and nurses who do lots of night shift work in a medical setting have the highest rates of infertility of any group of women. And why is that? Well, because when you disrupt this clock, it disrupts the infradian clock too. If you disrupt the circadian clock, it has a sort of add bang on effect of disrupting the infradian clock. And now we cannot ovulate you know, properly, we're not making enough progesterone and fertility is diminished, right? And we're aging because then we have rising levels of FSH, the body wants to stop ovulating. So it's, it's a real thing. And it's happening to more and more women. And the antidote is, you know, to start controlling the things that you can, you know, we can't control the stress in our life, but we can reduce endocrine disruptive chemical exposure, and we can eliminate infradian rhythm disruption. And if you can do those two things, you're going to be setting yourself up for a hormonal health longevity, you know, which is really from a female longevity conversation point of view, the name of the game, right? Mm -hmm. It's not just taking strange supplements potentially to extend your lifespan. It's really about the quality of your Uh, health as a woman, and that is so hormonal in nature. If you listen to this podcast, you're probably like me. You want to have high energy every day to achieve everything you want to, while also protecting your health span and longevity. And for the last six months, I've been taking a supplement called NAD Regen by Biostat Labs. 
Not only does it contain a powerful combination of niacinamide, NAD3 and resveratrol, which support NAD, also known as the molecule of youth, it has spermidine in it. And spermidine helps inhibit many of the hallmarks of aging. It also supports better cognition, improved memory, heart health and circadian rhythm. And I'll tell you what I've noticed since taking NAD Regen is consistently high energy, which is a huge bonus given that I'm always juggling the demands of running both my businesses alongside my kids and all of their activities and my daily workouts. And I've also noticed a lot of new hair growth, which is common with spermidine. The beauty benefits are, of course, always welcome. So after experiencing all these benefits, I wanted you to experience similar ones. And so I've arranged a very special offer with our sponsors, Biostat Labs. When you buy two bottles of NAD Regen, Biostat Labs are giving listeners of this show a free bottle of GD Aid, their glucose supplement that contains the very best ingredients for all-round metabolic health. I take NAD Regen in the morning in a fasted state before my workout to amplify the autophagy boosting effects and then GDA just before my most carb heavy meal of the day to blunt the glucose spike. To get your free bottle of GDA and all the energy and health promoting benefits of NAD Regen, head over to biostacklabs.com forward slash Angela. And when you purchase two bottles of NAD Regen, Biostat Labs will send you a free bottle of GD Aid. That's biostatlabs.com forward slash Angela to get your exclusive offer. I'm inviting you to join our newly opened High Performance Health Facebook group, where we're all about unlocking our utmost potential. If you are a fellow biohacker, a coach, or a woman with an entrepreneurial spirit looking for peak performance, then our community of ambitious women is just for you. But it's not just about connecting with like-minded women, it's about empowering each other. We have weekly live training, Q&As, and a bunch of other exclusive content that I don't get the chance to share anywhere else. New biohacks I'm exploring, plus extra nuggets of wisdom from my podcast guests, and so much more. It's free to join. Simply click the top link in the show notes or go to angelafoster.me forward slash HPH. That's angelafoster.me forward slash HPH or click the top link in the show notes. And once inside, send me a message so we can connect personally. I can't wait to see you there. For, for listeners, what would you say um, if they're thinking about when is, and I know this is variable and some of this depends on, apart from these outside influence we've been speaking about there, um, your mother's age that she went through menopause, but I know mm. that's kind of changing. What is the the rate, the true rate of aging um, for women in terms of uh, the ovaries? And when should women be, I don't, I don't want to make anyone paranoid and feel like, oh, I should get to this age before I go through menopause. But when we look at what's happening in reality and maybe what was happening historically before we were exposed to all of these, can you kind of clarify that balance? Yeah, so... You know, the average age of a woman's last bleed, which is menopause, just to be clear, that's refers to that last bleed. Um, the, the average age of that is, is approximately 52 years of age. So that means leading up to that, you are perimenopausal and perimenopause begins in the brain at 35 years of age. Now, it's a very slow process. And when I say it begins in the brain, it means that the pituitary gland slowly, very slowly starts making more, ever so slightly more follicular stimulating hormone. When you reach a critical threshold of this level of FSH, 
then the body stops ovulating and then you start moving into um, you know the menopausal moment where you no longer have a cycle and then you are postmenopausal. that after 12 months after you have that last bleed you can then consider yourself postmenopausal. so you're either pre-menopausal or you're postmenopausal. and i think that's really an important distinction because you want to be premenopausal for as long as you can. And we have studies that show changing your diet is actually proven to delay that menopausal bleed by several years. So you want to get on that and you want to be cycle syncing while you still have a cycle to protect your cyclical hormones so that you can continue to have a cycle as long as possible. The longer you ovulate, and menstruate, the healthier you will be postmenopausally, because every ovulation, which is the star of the show of menstruation, every ovulation puts money in your health bank account for, from a, it protects your brain, your heart, and your bones. So every ovulation is cardio, neuro, and osteoprotective. While you're menstruating, it gives you that benefit. And then it continues to give you that benefit postmenopausally. And this is a big important thing to hear because many, many women have been put on synthetic birth control or what I call synthetic hormone suppression, right? For decades during mm. the reproductive years as a way to manage family planning, which is old tech at this point. You know, when the pill was invented 70 years ago now, it was high tech, massive advancement in what was possible for women and so great. But now we have updated technology where you can wear wearable devices or use de devices first thing in the morning to track if you're ovulating with precision and accuracy since the egg is only viable for 48 hours and sperm can only live in the body for five days there's really just a seven day period of time that you have to worry about a barrier method to prevent the sperm meeting the egg if you're worried about conception the idea that you would use a technology that shuts off all your hormones every single day of the month to prevent that seven day period of potential risk, it's a little overkill, right? And just a little bit. Just a little bit. And especially now when we can, with precision, track when you're ovulating, and then you can use barrier methods during that time, which are equally effective to the hormone suppression. Um, it's just a much easier conversation now to, to be having, I think, and, and women should feel much more encouraged to use the newer technology and to not feel so fearful of getting pregnant at any time. And of course, any woman who's listening who's trying to conceive will be the first one to tell you how hard it is to get pregnant because the egg is only viable for 48 hours and it's a very tiny window of opportunity. So, um, you know, I think it's an important thing to consider simply because if you choose to use that for family planning for decades of your life, you, the opportunity cost to you is that you do not ovulate for those same decades. And then you are not protecting your brain, your heart, and your bones in your 20s, 30s, and 40s. And then certainly you will not have those benefits postmenopausally. So it's a big thing to consider. And the good news is now there's plenty of equally effective alternatives for you to be using um, to manage, you know, your fertility. And also, um, 
the, it doesn't account for the people that go on it, right? Because like for me, it was prescribed to me not even for um, preventing pregnancy, but because I had uh, period problems from a very young age, which is even more scary that it's given out on that basis, right? To teenage girls to solve for what I later found out was PCOS and endometriosis. Um, and that's still readily what amazes me, Elisa, is, you know, you can go to and I feel like more doctors need educating on this because you can go to a functional medicine doctor, someone who specializes in bioidentical hormone therapy. But even now in mainstream, you know, if I speak to my main kind of GP and they're just doing annual checks and things on anything to do with with menstruation, um, their immediate thing is, you know, you've had endometriosis, PCOS, any kind of symptoms you get heavy bleeding it requires birth control even at 47 and that surprises me do you know what I mean because well it shouldn't surprise you I mean you know the established um educational model has not yet expanded in conventional medical you know um educational system to include a, a more holistic conversation around and when I say holistic I don't mean herbs and you know, acupuncture, even though that those are extremely effective, I just mean a perspective that is beyond drug therapy mm. or surgical intervention. But you see, that's the thing we all have to appreciate about conventional medicine. That is what it does so well. That is what made conventional medicine what it is today, the, in, the, the development of antibiotics and um, you know, documented surgical procedures that were safe and effective and repeatable. You have to think back to, you know, <laughs> before the 1800s and even the early 1900s when there were just not you know, medical standards, it was really crazy for people to get their health care. So conventional medicine is a fantastic thing, doing amazing things. The, the, the high-tech surgeries and things that they can do, targeted immunotherapy, it's all really incredible. And we have to keep that in perspective. But we also have to appreciate that doctors are not being taught about dietary and lifestyle interventions because they have to spend so much time learning all this other really incredibly life-saving, important information to be doing their jobs. And so there's a little bit of a disconnect because um, when it comes to, let's say, treating cardiovascular disease, diabetes, or now some of these hormonal issues that women are continuously plagued with, really we're starting to understand that the, and studies are coming out left and right, that the best first line treatments for these things are dietary and lifestyle interventions. So it will start to shift. Has it shifted yet where you can just feel like you can walk into your GP's office and, and know that they're gonna say, well, yeah, okay, so you've got some period problems. You know, the best first thing for you to do would be to start cleaning up your diet. You know, are we there yet? No, will that happen? I absolutely believe that um, the arc of, of these things always expands into mm. incorporating the new and latest information in science. So I, I'm always optimistic that we'll get there because um, how can we not? But in the meantime, just don't feel bad if you don't hear that from your doctor because you shouldn't hear it from them yet <laughs> because this education hasn't been codified into mm. their educational training. 
Um, and but then, you know, and- it is being codified later, right? So what this really surprised me. My mother recently was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Mm. And in relation to that, the medical team were, you know, there's some drug therapy, there's things that are being approving, but we don't have anything yet that can reverse it. And so immediately the prescription was lifestyle. It was fitness and improving your strength, going out for walking. It was meditation. It was nutrition, all these things. But had they been done years earlier, right? Yeah, that, yeah. That, that's what's so crazy. It's like in 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 your eighties, it's a little bit late. Do you know what I mean? Right, right. We told this, but at the same time, you know, it's it's really about where the dollars are going to fund mm. the research, so that gives a level of confidence for those physicians to say these are the these are good steps to take because we know that we're studying this and it is effective. The challenges, and of course, I wrote about this in in the flow. There is so little funding going to researching women's hormonal issues and what to do about them. And so, of course, when there isn't good literature, um, we have less to fall back on and, and from, a, from the medical perspective. And so, again, birth control prescription is pretty ubiquitous for any and all problems. Mm-hmm. But the thing that I want you to take away from this little snippet of our chat is synthetic birth control is not a cure for your PCOS, for your endometriosis, for your PMDD, for your fibroids. It's not a cure at all in any way. It's a temporary Band-Aid that can actually, while you're taking that and not necessarily dealing with the extreme versions of your symptoms, can be deeply disrupting you um, from a micronutrient point of view and other and, and other things, gut disruption, um, where when you go off of that medication, you can be worse off than when you started before. And again, you're missing out on all those years of ovulating, which is so, so vital to your health and well-being. So there's so much to talk about when it comes to synthetic birth control, but I think it's really about getting yourself educated. One of my favorite books to recommend to women to read if they're considering, you know, what should I do about the pill is Dr. Sarah Hill's book. She's been on the show. Yeah. Your brain on birth control. Yeah. She's fantastic. We did a podcast with her. It's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the best information. If you read that book, there's no way you're going to walk away thinking, yeah, this is great that I'm on this medication because Mm. you really understand how profound the impact is. You know, I speak about it from just the health benefit, but there's a whole, personality and who you are identity issue as well that comes up and partner so. relationship as well right in terms of attracting it was just such a oh, massive yeah. eye <laughs> it affects everything about you because your hormones yeah. are again so germane to your experience of reality so so can we touch on now um in terms of like optimizing because i think it's a really interesting area when we're looking at the infradian rhythm we're looking at the impact of nutrition you mentioned how women can really optimize their nutrition not just around the phases of their menstrual cycle but also to protect their longevity and their ovarian function what are the kind of what are the key yeses and the big sort of no-nos in terms of nutrition Well, I'll start with the longevity piece because I think everybody's thinking about it these days. And Mm. if you're over 45, you're always thinking about it. Um, But there's definitely things to just remember. Um, Alcohol is not your friend, first and foremost. First of all, I believe if it hasn't already been, it's in the United States, it's on its way to being um, classified as a... a, um, class one carcinogen. 
So, you know, and this is due to the fact that um, both the super concentration of sugars is bad for you, but also all the chemical exposure from the glyphosates and pesticides that are used on grape production, highly concentrated in that one glass of wine. Mm. So for, for women, it's, you know, not your friend and it will age you much more rapidly than you want and put you at risk for diseases that you don't want. Um, I personally took it out of my diet when I was 35, right? So now I'm going on, I don't know, 10 something years without it. And it was just a, it was just a choice of, okay, perimenopause has begun in the brain at 35. This has to go because I know that this is going to create more of an aging response at this stage of my life. So took it out. Um, I think I've also taken it out actually, and I much prefer life without it. I have to say, yeah, it's great. (laughs) You don't, there's no recovery. Mm. There's just, you know, exactly feeling good. (laughs) You've got that kid like energy every single morning, right? This is amazing. And it's does wonders for your skin. It does wonders for your metabolism. So, um, definitely consider that if you're thinking about, well, what are some big needle movers that I can use to protect my health and enhance my longevity? I would, I would definitely for women, take that out and where you'll say, what about red wine and all the studies? And no, just not worth it. Um, those have, those have all been, there's many studies. So it just depends on who you're talking to. Um, so there's that. I think the other thing is managing your blood glucose levels. I think after 45, it would be advantageous for every woman for a period of one to three months to wear a continuous glucose monitor to learn what her body's metabolic responses are to the different foods that she's eating, the food quantities, uh, combinations of things, so that you can really get a handle on what your metabolism can handle, because we really want to keep blood sugar stable throughout the day. Stable blood sugar means stable moods, stable energy, and has a, a, you know, a positive impact on all of your endocrine hormones in general, right? And so that's going to benefit your sex hormones as well and promote ovarian health. So I think that's great. Once you learn what your the right combinations of foods are, you don't need to wear it all the time, you know, if you don't want to. But I think doing it as an experiment for a period of time, I think doing it in the winter is great because you're not out in the beach and it's less of to, to worry about with, you know. So get one, you know, maybe after the holidays, January through March, that can be your time to like experiment with this and uh, you can wear sweaters and it can just be easier clean up and, and all of that. And then you can learn and modify your diet. So th- that, and then the third thing that you can do as a woman who is over 45 thinking about longevity and health and what are the biggest needle movers, the third, and you know, I would say the, the only other thing I would add to your list is to start lifting heavy, heavy, serious weights. So get a trainer, go to the, go to the gym with all the big equipment, you know, you got to start like bench pressing a hundred pounds, squatting 150 pounds with the, I mean, like I'm talking like that, not, not like little five pound weights anymore, (laughs) like heavy. And why? Because as we age muscle mass, we lose just, just happens over the, over our, our lifespan. And 
Of course, if you've had a history of being on birth control, you haven't had the opportunity to gain as much lean muscle because it suppresses your body's ability to do that while you're on that medication. And because you're not ovulating, there is some impact on your bone density because you're not getting all the benefits of estrogen because that's suppressed as well. So if you've had that history, strength training is like, you know, a must do that kind of heavy strength training because it's going to build up some muscle and it's going to strengthen your bone density. So uh, this will do wonders for you um, from a longevity point of view. So get cut out the alcohol, figure out your blood glucose, optimal you know, meal situation, and start lifting serious weightlifting three times a week. Uh, and you'll be good to go. And do you on that, which is we pause on the, um, let's talk about it because it hi- highlights two things to do with the, the cycle thinking. Um, let's talk about the lifting first. What are your thoughts around like achieving PV, PBs and go really going for it and lessening off as we get nearer at the end of the luteal phase to recover properly in time sort of for menstruation and help with progesterone? What are your thoughts around that weightlifting protocol? So, you know, you can strength train at any time of the month. Um, the thing that you can't do at any time of the month is the intense cardio so there's hit. some new, yeah, hit and, and like, you know, long hit. runs, you know, yeah. that kind of, that kind of stuff that you can't really do in the luteal phase. Um, and we know that also during menstruation, the body has luteal phase and menstrual phases. Um, the body temperature is, you know, gets a little bit more elevated when you do cardio. So there's a little bit more stress on the body. Recovery is a little bit more challenging. So if you do have to do, you know, something like a marathon, you can do it, of course. You can do anything you want in any phase. It's really just about biohacking and and working to your strengths. But if you have to do it, of course you can. You're a strong, capable woman. You can do whatever you want when you want. But you'd want to use um, fueling, right? Carbohydrate fueling sort of strategically before you do that cardio, that big cardio burst, if you're doing it in the suboptimal phase. And then you'd want to use cooling techniques to recover faster, to help your body deal with the fact that it's a little bit out of sync. But from a strength training point of view, you can do that all throughout the month. And in fact, some new research just came out to show that there's even bigger gains to be had if you do strength training in the first half of your cycle. So HIIT workouts are great because typically what that means, you know, which I recommend in the, in the first half of the cycle, you're gonna be alternating between short bursts of cardio and then some, you know, some strength training intervals, right? So that's a great thing to do in the first half of the cycle, but you can also just go into the gym and do like a full on strength session and follow that up or before you do it, do half an hour on the treadmill if you want. You can do a lot in the first half of the cycle. The body is really, um, the, Resilient. The, the, well, the pattern of cortisol and, and um, your metabolic speed just make it much easier for you to do longer workouts, more intensive workouts, to lift, um, to, to run, to do all of that with, um, without any um, huge impact on blood sugar. And, and then of course, anything with recovery is just much easier. So it doesn't mean you don't do workouts in the second half of your cycle. You just do strength training and maybe some light walking, you know, walking is good every day of the month, right? But you just change the intensity of your cardio really. So you can go harder with the cardio in the first half. And then in the second half, 
you just go lighter. So lighter and shorter is ideal and focus more on strength training, more on flexibility, you know, Pilates, that kind of thing, um, whatever feels good to you. And then when you're menstruating, um, you know, it's really personal preference. Some women really find that if they do things like yoga or Pilates during the first few days of their bleed, that really helps the fascia around the uterus be stretched and that helps the uterus do its job of contracting more easily. Other women, um, you know, like to just take the first day of bleeding, which is typically the more heavy day to just be with that. It's one day, you know, if you want to just take a walk that day, or you want to sit and read a book and journal that day, that's cool too. You can do that. It's all right. In the scheme of your training plan, it's perfectly fine. And then you can get back to it the next day if you want. But I'm here to just take the pressure off of you because there's this Again, another narrative that's been sort of promoted with advertising around, you know, menstrual products, which is like, you know, you got to be running around in your bright whites, you know, menstruating and playing sports and and you can and you you should if you need to. But if you don't want to, it's okay too. And I think that we just need to make sure that that's something that women should be encouraged is to check in with their energy, their mood, their desire around what they want to do with their bodies on that first or second day of their bleed. And if they want to relax, that's perfectly acceptable, right? There's this weird thing that we feel like, oh no, well, I have to push myself through all of these uncomfortable things, especially if you're dealing with cramps, which we should talk about how to get rid of because you shouldn't have any cramps. Um, but you, I, I'm actually advocating for the opposite. I don't think women should continuously practice pushing. Mm -hmm. I think you should continuously practice listening to your body and responding to it as needed. And that, that which, that what you would do in response to what you're hearing your body say would be different day over day, week over week throughout the cycle, right? Mm. Some days you're going to feel full of energy because testosterone is surging, estrogen is surging. You're going to want to go to a spin class with your friends and do that for two hours or whatever it is. And then there will be other times in the cycle where you don't have testosterone present in that same concentration. You enter estrogen will be on the, the decline and you don't actually have the same desire to do that. That is a, just that is true and they're both valid is my point and so we shouldn't judge one or the other as better or worse we should just look at it factually like okay these are the physiological changes that are happening in my brain in my body and that shows up as different preferences for what activities i would like to select and i want you to make it okay for yourself to change your mind based on how you're feeling when it comes to your fitness based on that physiological change. Mm -hmm. And that's a big gift to give to yourself because this constant pushing is another driver of ovarian aging. Because if you're pushing yourself when you would rather be resting, think about the knock on effects of what that's doing to you. Um, you know, from a cortisol point of view, a blood sugar point of view, it's increasing stress, it's dysregulating blood sugar. It's not necessarily the best path every single day.
let's talk about that because that's kind of circles back to where we you, you were sort of starting in terms of women are under often this sort of relentless pressure and then I think they feel they constantly have to do more um, can you talk a little bit about the interaction of cortisol with um, progesterone and how obviously I, I mean I, I just think the two things you said there about first of all empowering women you can strength train and do whatever you want whenever you want you're a powerful woman that I just love the fact that you said that because there is this sort of perception on some on TikTok and some channels where people have taken this concept and almost said you're a different woman every single day of the month and you can only do this at this stage do you know what I mean which actually is taking away from the whole yeah uh, I mean and and it makes me think that I have to spend more time on TikTok, which I, I haven't <laughs> done. So, uh, but but yes, I mean, listen, that's part of it. You know, I've invented this method, but people make it their own. And and there's a little bit of that telephone game where the the method is maybe not being accurately just depicted by people's um, reels or videos. And so, you know, if you want the um, correct information from the creator of the method which is me you got to read in the flow and then i would encourage you to download the the app that i built which is free called my flow and it has the circle icon not the feather and um and this will give you the correct sort of parameters around what to do when and the idea is absolutely not for you to transfer the same wounding that you've been conditioned around perfectionism right as a woman you have to be mm. perfect you have to do it yeah very much so you know to get it right be the good girl i do not want you to transfer that to this method this is quite the opposite if you let it be a practice and evolution in your life it is the fastest way i know to heal from that conditioning in fact right? Mm -hmm. Because instead of trying to get it right and, oh my gosh, wait, I can't eat this because it's not on the food chart for this day of the month. No, we really want you to, or this, I can't do this workout. You can do whatever you want. These are guidelines. These are things that help optimize, but ultimately you have to be listening to your body. How is it feeling? How is she doing? How's your body doing today? Right? Because just because you're supposed to be in your luteal phase doesn't mean that you have the optimal ratio of progesterone to estrogen. You could still be estrogen dominant in your luteal phase. And so you might want to be very careful and cautious about how much of a walk you go on or what you're eating, right? But it, you really just want to be in this constant curiosity experimentation state. This is not about being perfect and getting it right at all. It's really about a practice and a set of guidelines that allow you to align yourself nutritionally and lifestyle wise with the different hormone ratios that you have each of the four weeks of the cycle. And that's the sort of the, the three pillars of cycle syncing, which I don't think we've actually said yet are, you know, food fitness and productivity right so we know that for example you need um different caloric amounts at different times of the cycle first half of the cycle metabolism is slower second half of the cycle metabolism is faster so in order for you to maintain um you know homeostasis with your blood sugar levels in both phase both of these halves of the cycle you actually have to change your caloric intake which flies directly in the face of all the conventional dietary conversations you've heard, which is you have to have the same caloric intake every day. 
That's not true. In the second half of the cycle, you need more. And you need different types of carbohydrates in the second half of the cycle, ones that are much more slower to um, burn, if you will, because your metabolism is so much faster. So you wouldn't want to put in you know, a piece of bread there because that's going to, you know, like white bread, you would want to use like some brown rice or some quinoa or something that's going to, a sweet potato, something that's going to have fiber that's going to take longer for your body to break down and give you more sustained, slow, sustained energy um, from a carbohydrate point of view during the time that you're digesting that meal versus the first half of your cycle. You can, you could skip carbs if you wanted to altogether. If you're not into, you know, if you, if you have a grain sensitivity, if you're just not feeling it, you could get your carbs from plants and fruits, for example, and not go so deep on the grains. So it really just is about matching calorically where you need to be. Then it's also about using food strategically to deal with the estrogen conversation. So that's the second piece of the food um, conversation. Estrogen surges twice, very profoundly during ovulation, but then also in the first half of the luteal phase. And you need to let's say it differently, your body needs to have specific micronutrients ready to go in specific organs at an abundance of concentration to metabolize and break down that estrogen and get it out of your body through the large intestine and the bowels, right? And so that's what we do to make sure that the food charts are all about making sure that you're using food strategically to help with that. So in the ovulatory phase, you're eating foods that are rich in these vitamins that the liver needs uh, uh, to break down estrogen. In the luteal phase, you're eating similarly, but you're cooking those vegetables to make them more bioavailable. Why? Because digestion slows down in the luteal phase due to the rise in progesterone. So you need to make food a little bit more bioavailable by cooking it. And then also you need to have an abundance of fiber to compensate for this slowed down transit time in the gut so that you can keep pooping out that estrogen every day in your bowel movements and so that it doesn't just end up recirculating so again we use calories to match the metabolic rate and then we use food strategically to help with estrogen metabolism and this is why women start to feel so much better and why symptoms start to alleviate because their moods are stable when you stabilize blood sugar mood and energy just all of a sudden become an effortless conversation, you feel more stable. And then when you start to metabolize estrogen, you know, intentionally, then a lot of these symptoms that you that you have popping up, the, the acne on your chin mid cycle, or the, the ovulatory pain mid cycle, or the swol the tender breasts mid cycle during ovulation, that goes away, or all the PMS goes away. So that's, I think what gets women so passionate about cycle syncing and that's why it's become this like global viral movement is they are just like i can't believe that mm -hmm. i could feel this way because for all these years when you've been told oh well your hormones are going to wreck your life and you should expect to feel bad and then you don't do anything about it that's exactly how you feel you don't feel good and then when you're given the right framework to take care of this cyclical pattern and everything gets better pretty quickly it's um something that anyone would feel really passionate about, you know, and I get that I, and I'm, I'm thrilled. And then the fitness piece is just the add on, you know, making sure that you're doing that correctly as well, which we've explained in depth. The productivity piece came out of um, looking at some other research um, out of Northwestern University back in uh, the 90s, where they were looking at, you know, what are the effects of changing hormones on women's brain structure. And actually turns out that it changes your brain up to 25% over the course of the month. So you, you are really 
doing things cognitively in a different way, depending on where estrogen is and progesterone is in, in your cycle phases. And so you can understand what those effects are and you can start to play to those cognitive strengths each week, again, with the intention of not making your life more complicated, but with the intention of reducing stress, right? Mm -hmm. So for example, this week I have, I'm in my ovulatory phase and I have booked as many talks as possible. Tuesday, I did a whole day. I think I started at 10 and I didn't finish till six podcast interviews, Instagram lives. I don't know what I was doing. I was doing a ton of things. Had so much fun because, you know, in my ovulatory phase, estrogen is hyper stimulating the verbal and social centers of my brain. So I was happy to see everybody on the Zoom. I was so happy to share all the information. It was easy for me. Stress levels always stayed low because I was doing that in sync with what was happening hormonally and, and in my brain chemistry as well. I can do these things and I have done, you know, I gave my Ted talk while I was bleeding, you know, it's all fine. You can do it whenever, but I would only do one. I wouldn't mm. do a whole day. You wouldn't do the whole day. Yeah. That makes I, would, sense. I wouldn't book the whole day. I would just think about that strategically. I'd say, okay, yeah, I can do anything I want, but I would like biohack that situation. Right. So if I had to give a talk, in my menstrual phase, which I do all the time, I would make sure I took some time to do some movement in the morning, a little meditation, have a really uh, solid grounding meal. And that would be like the whole, I would just spend the whole day preparing myself to do the talk. And then afterwards I would do a little bit more movement to flush the cortisol, a little bit of supple, extra supplements to deal with the, the stress, some ashwagandha, for example, before and after, extra methyl uh, folate, things that just to sort of biohack what happened that day, because I can do whatever I want, but I know that it's adding a little extra stress to do it out of sync with the cycle. So that's fine. We can handle stress, but we want to give our bodies every little bit of support to adapt to that stress and respond to it efficiently, which requires micronutrients. Because when I say mm. respond to stress efficiently, I'm talking about your adrenal glands and your adrenal glands need vitamin C, vitamin B5, you know, to in order for your body to produce adequate levels of cortisol to deal with the adrenaline, right? And for that not to be a depleting situation. So adaptogens are good, but micronutrients are good. Um, and that's the idea to, to really start thinking about how can you strategically plan some of the activities, not even all, to just go for 25%, just go for a quarter of the things that on your to-do list in any given phase of your cycle, having those things line up with what's optimal for you in that phase of the cycle. And, and you'll feel, you know, less stressed and that's yeah, the less stress than we're talking about. And why do you want to do this? Why would you bother? doing all this cycle syncing in the first place. Well, you know, it, again, the benefits are endless, but you know, you, your mood, your energy, your, you know, uh, ability to concentrate and not have brain fog and all that's going to be very, very stable. Your cycle symptoms can really evaporate very, very quickly. You know, you don't have to have any PMS people, not, not a drop, no PMS, not something you should have. Um, if you have it, it means something's not working. One of the inputs you need to fix. is not working. So you got to change those. 
and you can build more lean muscle. You can have your optimal body without effort. You know, and I want to, I always like to share that, you know, I've maintained a 50 pound weight loss for 20 something years because of this method, not because I do any sort of deprivation of any sort. You know, I'm Italian. I like to cook. I like to eat, but I do it strategically. And I know. Where I want to ask you about that actually, because something that comes up a lot with women, right, that causes a lot of stress. And when we're talking about deprivation, um, what are your thoughts around fasting? Lots of women doing two, three day water only fasts and more. Can I know you, it's can you very talk about popular. Fasting? I know it's very popular. Um, you know, the the reality is for women in their reproductive years. Um, fasting beyond the 12 hour window, you know, the overnight 12 hour window, you know, it does have some negative impact on our thyroid, on our ovulation. It's not optimal. If you have some extreme situation, you're dealing with Lyme disease or some autoimmune issue, is there some benefit to resting the body from a digestion point of view? Perhaps, but you need to consult a physician who's, you know, specializes in this. Um, but it's a bit controversial, you know, and so you just need to be really careful. But I think the problem that we could potentially run into when we think about fasting and its popularity is that it really does have, um, I don't know, it, 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 triggers whether positively or negatively the conditioning that women have received to restrict calories to control mm -hmm. the body to deprive and it, i think it's potentially problematic for women who've had disordered eating in the past of their you know in their own personal past or you know just having a, a lot of years of extreme dieting because when you do any sort of extreme dieting you're depleting your system of micronutrients the very micronutrients that keep you healthy hormonally and young so too much of this is not really the way to go um, and what we need is to really nourish ourselves correctly and strategically and that's what cycle syncing will help you do and you do want to do fasting you know for 12 hours every night between dinner and breakfast that's always a good thing to do but you don't need to do an extended fast to to really start to biohack your system that is much more advantageous for people who have a circadian only system so if you're male or if you're postmenopausal, 100% start doing more extended fasting because the science is clear that that's beneficial. And I'll be doing that when I'm postmenopausal too. But while you're still cycling, you need to really think about nourishing yourself because the body, it's the having this, making sure the cycle can take place from ovulation to producing progesterone to 3D printing the endometrial organ every month, the lining of the uterus, that require that is so nutrient dense. The, re the nutrient requirements of that are quite significant. That does not just happen out of the ether. That happens from what you're eating. And so in order for you to be able to do that successfully and, and not to age prematurely, you need to nourish yourself. And that's the sort of final benefit, I would say, of the cycle syncing method is that you really do get this um, support of the slowing down of that hormonal aging process for as long which as is possible. awesome and you can use exercise for autophagy in any event right we've already talked about that so and yes. it's a kind of a very good lever um two things before you go yes. i want to circle back to cramps because you mentioned it and i think yes. there's going to be definitely people listening but before we do just when you were talking about the productivity um you talked about being more outwardly speaking and things like this around ovulation what about flow states and being able to kind of 
sort of get into that deep workflow and things like that. What have you found in terms of cycle syncing in relation to that? I mean, I don't know how I would do all that I do without managing this flow state. I mean, that's why I called the book In the Flow. It's a play on words, obviously, around our cycle. But the idea was specifically about how does a woman achieve a peak flow state? Because obviously, I was very curious about that um, as a young person who was building a, a company and, you know, and listening to people like Tony Robbins and all these people talk about peak flow states. And when I applied their methods, right, it worked only for periods of time in my cycle right? And then it stopped working. And it's because the, the things that, that are suggested that you do day in and day out the same every day, the same time, the same, the ritualistic kind of thing to achieve that peak flow state that doesn't exactly map onto this infradian effect. And so what I find is that cycle syncing is really the best way for a woman to get into her peak flow state, because if you are getting rid of all the hormonal disruptions, that you know do happen to you constantly by not supporting your infradian rhythm if you get rid of those and you're feeling good you're feeling focused you're feeling calm you're not anxious you're not depressed you're not moody you're not tired you're not hypoglycemic hyperglycemic i mean you know just think about you know you mentioned earlier how much better you feel just by removing alcohol in the mornings right you don't have this constant hangover state that you're waking up in when you don't support your infradian rhythm properly you're kind of in a constant micro hangover state all the time recovering from too much cortisol recovering from too much blood sugar dysregulation like all throughout the day you're always on the back foot there's no scenario in which you can be in a peak flow state when you are physiologically not at homeostasis, mm -hmm. right? And so that's what it confers to you is this opportunity to, to keep yourself in homeostasis uh, hormonally and give yourself the chance to then be in a peak flow state cognitively and energetically. It's awesome. I love it. I, I mean, I absolutely love that. I love this book and I love uh, Woman Code, which is also behind you. I just My first book. Yes. Yeah, I love your first <laughs> book as well. I think they're both brilliant. Um, cramps, let's not go, let's not go without you. Because uh, before you go, can you just briefly explain how can people get rid of cramps? Oh my gosh, cramps. Cramps are in, you know, eight out of 10 cases are due to just simply having um, an, an imbalance of the concentration of um, prostaglandins. So there's three prostaglandins that control uterine activity, PGE1, 2, and 3. Nature has designed you to be pain-free because you only have one of those prostaglandins that controls uterine contraction, which is PGE2. PGE1 and 3 control uterine relaxation. The problem is, because of our modern diet that is overrun with seed oils, that are, you know, with the wrong types of fatty acids that jacks up the production of prostaglandin number two, the one that controls the contraction and suppresses the production of PG one and three. So now your uterus is working over time to expel the endometrium, causing you to have more contractive energy and less relaxation. And you're in more pain than you need to be. If you get rid of all seed oils and start eating good fats that are rich in omega three fatty acids, then the ratios return to normal and the body works, the uterus works very efficiently because nature has designed your biology, bio, biological system to be extremely efficient and elegant. And you wanna have a little bit of contraction and a lot of relaxation, and that will get the job done perfectly fine to expel the endometrium. So um, 
change. And this is also important if you are about to deliver a baby and you would like to have less painful labor, make sure you are not eating seed oils during your pregnancy because, you know, menstruation, the, the action of the uterus during menstruation is just like a microcosmic experience of the action of the uterus during labor. It's the same action, right? Mm. And so it's supported by the same prostaglandins. And so if you want to have less painful contractions during labor, you also want to do the same strategy there with managing your seed oils as well. Awesome. Thank you for that. You've shared so much. I've really enjoyed this. Uh, it's been so great to have you back. Um, please link what, what's next, what's coming up next, right? 10 years. Oh my gosh. So many things. I can't even, it's not enough time to go into it, but I would say, make sure you're on subscribe to our newsletter at flowliving.com. So you can be fully aware of all the things that are coming. Um, definitely, um, pick up the books in the flow and woman code, download the, my flow app. If you're having any issues with your hormones whatsoever, please come to flow living. There's a free evaluation, a hormonal evaluation that we do for you on the website. And, um, you know, we can help you customize sort of the solution that might be best for you. And um, yeah, I'm on, I'm on Instagram. I'm on, I'm there at flow living <laughs> and at, uh, at elisa.vd. So you can find me there too. And people can connect with you and, and share this episode, right? Let's get it out. Let's get it out to more women uh, and to, uh, we didn't have a chance. We were talking offline about daughters. We don't have time today. Another time. To I'll young back, people. We'll talk about, we'll talk Another about time that. we'll do it. But yeah, please share and inform them too. Thank you so much, Elisa. Thank you. It's been wonderful it's to have you back. If you enjoy this podcast, visit femalebiohacker.com and be part of a special community of women looking to optimize their mind, body, and spirit. If you're tired of sifting through countless websites and books to find the answers to your questions about nutrition, fitness, hormones, mindset, spirituality, and biohacking, the search is over. I've done the research for you and every week we go live with in-depth masterclasses, Q&A calls and monthly challenges to help you transform your life. And when you join the collective, you'll have access to a wealth of information, including deep dive masterclasses and biohacking toolkits on our members' favorites like metabolic flexibility, gut health, stress and resiliency, and stepping into your most empowered self. Get access and be coached by me and my team and level up your health, career, and life all for less than a dollar a day. Go to femalebiohacker.com or click the link below to get started. And I'll see you on the inside.